0: John six. We're going to begin at verse uh, verse sixteen, and uh, we're going to continue to verse fifty nine. And so, let's remember now as we hear this that this is the very word of the Lord. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they asked Him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign, then, will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it's written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, From now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord to us this evening. If you turn with me also to question and answer 76, I'm going to read the question for us, and then if we could together respond with the answer, that would be wonderful. So question 76 asks this. It asks, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured-out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ, and by believing, to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as members of our body are by one soul. Let's pray together as we begin the sermon. Heavenly Father, this evening we have a passage in front of us that was very difficult for people to hear. It was a teaching that was very difficult. Many deserted Christ after they heard Him say that that we must eat His flesh. Heavenly Father, this evening we pray that we would not be those who would reject You when hearing a hard teaching, but that we would cling to Your Son all the more knowing that he is the one that has eternal life, the words of eternal life. Help us to hear those words. Help us to believe this evening. Give us receptive hearts and open ears. Let us hear and let us respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, people of God... I was told recently um, about a conversation that my mother had with my sister. They were talking about things that they craved, foods that they craved. And my sister, Natalie, she lives in Chicago, she's something of a health nut. And so my mom told me that as they were talking, my sister said, you know, I just crave really healthy food, like whole grain bread. My mom said, that's great, Natalie, I crave chocolate. Chocolate. And that was, uh, I think, uh, a craving that resonated with a lot more people than I've talked to, than my sister's health food or whole grain bread craving. And this evening, what we're going to be talking about are, uh, is some individuals who similarly had a craving. And their craving actually was a lot more in line with what my sister craved. They were individuals who longed to fill their stomachs with the bread that they had filled their stomachs with just the day before. Christ had performed a miracle where he had fed them, and they wanted more of that. But Christ was offering to them himself something much deeper and richer and more profound and lasting than any lunch. But what they wanted, what they wanted, was the food that they had filled their bellies with. And so as we talk about this this evening, the question that I'd like for us to to consider is not just what sort of foods that you crave, But what is your deepest craving or your deepest desire? Because Christ comes to us as well and says that he offers us himself. And my hope and prayer is that we will see the example, the negative example of this crowd and say, we want Jesus and not just his benefits. But that's what we're going to be talking about this evening, and we're going to be talking about it in three different ways. First, we're going to talk about the crowd's carnal concerns. What they wanted was to fill their stomachs with bread. That's what we're going to talk about first. And then we're going to talk about Christ's divine definition of who he says that he is. And then last, we're going to talk about his divisive demand when he tells the crowd to eat him. And those are the three things that we're going to be talking about this evening. And so let's let's turn to the first point. This is the crowd's carnal concerns. And and, and as I've mentioned... This story, this uh, discourse in John 6 about Christ being the bread of life, follows directly after a very important miracle. It was Christ's feeding of the 5,000. And we know that this is an important miracle because this is actually the only miracle of Christ that's repeated in all four of the Gospels. Each one of the Gospel authors tells of this miracle, of Christ feeding the 5,000. And it really is an impressive miracle. It's one that we know about. There were crowds of people, 5,000 men is is what we're told, and so it was probably a great deal more than that, maybe 15,000, maybe twenty or 25,000 individuals when you included men and women and children. And most of these individuals didn't have any food to eat, and they were listening to the teachings of Jesus. And it came to be the time when each one of them would have needed to eat, and they found that they had no food to give to these people. And so Christ asked if anyone had any sort of food, and the disciples said that there was one young man, one boy, who brought a lunch, a little bit of bread, a few fish. So Christ took that small amount of food, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he had his disciples pass it, and as he broke it, he multiplied the food enough to feed everyone and to have several bushels left over. Now, this miracle, understandably, had created quite a bit of buzz. Individuals heard about this and they wanted to be able to come to Jesus again, but it was because they wanted again to fill their stomachs with the food that they had eaten the day before. And the reason that we know this is because of the conversation that these individuals come and have with Jesus. They wake up and find that they are no longer a, a- that he is no longer around, so immediately they set off to try to find him so that they can again experience this food and eat lunch from him again. And, and John 6 gives us a record of this conversation, this back and forth between the people and Jesus. And I actually love this conversation because as I read it, I, I can sort of see the wheels spinning in the minds of the people that are talking to him as they look for the bread. And we know that that's what their goal is because that's what Christ tells us. He says that they were seeking him because they ate the loaves and had their fill. And so they find, they find boats, and they, they go across to where Jesus is, and they get there. And John 6 tells us that the first thing that they say is, Rabbi, when did you get here? And I just love this, I just love this intro. And and I can totally picture the individual sort of talking about how they were going to get some of this bread as they were approaching the temple, about to talk to him. They said, don't just jump into it, you know, get him talking. And then once you've talked to him for a while, then maybe talk about how you're hungry again and would love some food. And so that's the way that they start. "Oh, Oh, hey Jesus, how'd you get here? But he sees through what it is that they're saying. And he says, I tell you the truth. He says, you're here not because you saw the miraculous signs that I performed, but you are here because you had uh, your fill of the loaves. You ate the loaves and had your fill. He tells them, don't work for this food that spoils. He says, work for the food that will last to eternal life, the eternal food that won't perish and talking about this eternal food that won't perish, this also sounds pretty attractive to these individuals. And they say that they, uh, that they want this sort of food. And they ask how they can sort of do that, do the work that he would require to receive that. And Christ tells them that the only work is to believe in him. And so then these people get to sort of their second sneaky comment. They say, okay, we're willing to believe you in verse 30, but they say, what miraculous sign then... Will you give to us that we may see it and believe? And the sign that they recommend to Jesus is is one that, that shows what they really want. They say, how's this for a sign? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. So if you could give us some food to eat, then we would see that and be able to believe in you. And again, they're trying to get at what they really want. They want, again, to fill their stomachs with what Christ had given to them. Christ has to tell them again that it wasn't Moses, it was God that gave him the food from heaven, but that the bread from heaven that has come into the world is him, is Jesus. That's what he's trying to get across. And they say, sir, would you give us this bread? But Jesus says that this isn't a response of faith. He says that you have seen me and you don't believe. And what we can pick up from this discourse is that these individuals, though they were being offered Jesus, didn't want that. What they wanted was this miracle. They wanted to be able to have lunch. And Jesus said, stop that. Stop setting your desires on these things that spoil and fade. He says, I'm willing to give you myself. And they say, but what about lunch? You see, they wanted the gift. They didn't want the giver of that gift. They wanted the miracles, but they didn't want Jesus. And you know, this is something that I think is actually quite common. I think quite often we encounter people who want the benefits of Jesus without necessarily wanting Jesus himself. And I think that there are a couple of aphorisms that sort of point us in that direction and and, and maybe tell us about that. I think first and, and most seriously, I'm told by some that there are no atheists in foxholes. And second, and far less seriously, I'm told that as long as there are tests administered in public school, there will always be prayer in public school. And both of those sort of get at something, don't they? And some of that is good. When we're in trying or difficult sort of circumstances, we want to be able to turn to God and receive from Him blessings. But I think that each of those gets at a pretty specific situation, and and I think that we can understand that maybe there are certain people who might be in a foxhole that don't want to submit their life to Christ, but they don't want to die. So they're willing to call out to God for his benefits, but they don't want to submit their life to him. There may be some in school who don't want to give over the whole of themselves to Christ and his church, but they want a good grade. So they cry out to God for his benefits, even though they don't want Christ himself. And the fact is is that I think that this happens in the church as well. I went to a Lutheran high school and my junior year religion teacher was a pastor. Pastor Harmon was his name. And he told us a story of when he was a pastor and there were some people that started attending his church. It was a family of individuals. He said they were really engaging and after each sermon they would come up to him, thank him profusely for his words, talk with him, give him a great deal of encouragement. And he said for a number of months they attended his church. He said one day they weren't there, and and he didn't think anything of it. Perhaps they were on vacation, and then the next week they weren't there also, and the week after that, And he started wondering, where did this family go? So he decided that he would pay them a visit, and he went to their house, and they were still very warm, and they welcomed him inside, and he said, hey, I, I just wanted to know, we saw you in church, we appreciated you being there, but we haven't noticed you recently. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. We had been going through a really trying time in our life, So we really needed some comfort, but that's all taken care of. And so thank you for your kind words of encouragement in those days, but we're all right. We don't need to go to church anymore. What those individuals wanted, they didn't want Christ, but they wanted his benefits. They didn't want to continually serve him, but they wanted the peace and the comfort and the joy that came from knowing him but once they were able to find a sort of peace or a sort of comfort or a sort of joy somewhere else, they no longer needed Jesus. And nowadays, we we see churches that I think play into this sort of thing. We see churches that that sort of advertise themselves as places where you can receive Christ's benefits, but they don't talk about the benefits of, of, of actually knowing and serving and worshiping Christ. And so there are certain churches that say if you come here, you could have your best life now. There are are certain churches that tell you that you'd become a better you if you attended there. There are certain places that tell you if you go to our church, you'll be a better parent, a better spouse, a better business person. There's actually a church recently uh, that I read about in the news that put up billboards around town telling people that if they came to their church, they would have a better sex life, which to me is really disturbing. But the fact is is that each one of these places, each one of these places is marketing the benefits of a life with Christ without telling people to come to worship Christ himself. And I know all too often, all too often I'm the kind of person that looks and sees the benefits of Jesus, and I think, I want those. All too often for me, It's easy to forget that even if things are difficult or challenging or hard, knowing Jesus is so much greater than experiencing his benefits. It's so much deeper, it's so much more profound, it's so much more enduring and lasting. So my hope for each one of us and my hope for this congregation is that this would be a congregation of believers that doesn't say come to church chiefly because you'll be a better parent or spouse, But my prayer is that this would be a group of people that says, come to our church, come to faith, because here we get to hear about Jesus. Here we get to feast on him. We get to worship him. Come to my church. Come and see and know Jesus. Now, why is it? Why is it that we should want Jesus more than any potential benefit? of Jesus. Why is that? It's because of who Jesus is. And that takes us to our second point here, and that's Christ's divine definition. Christ astounds the people in this passage by telling them who the bread from heaven is. He astounds them because he tells them that he is that bread that he offers. And the reason that that bread is so much better, the bread that is Christ is so much better than the bread that was lunch for them the day before, is because Jesus is God. And the way that we're told that comes in a couple of different ways, just two different ways that I want to, or three different ways that I want to highlight this evening. The first is this, the first is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. This was a miraculous sign that showed who Jesus was, and it was a miracle in which some sort of creation took place. Christ took bread and fish, and as he split it, it did multiply, and he created more food, enough to feed all of the individuals that were there. The only way that that could have taken place is that if Christ were creating more food as he was splitting it up, And so as he performed this miracle in which he created more food for the people, he was showing them that he was the one who could create. And what the people should have recognized is that there is only one who is able to create. They knew the one, the Lord of hosts who had created all that they knew, all that they saw. Only God could create. And so as they experienced a miracle where Jesus Christ created more food, they should have realized, aha, this is God. He is the one that I should want. More than this lunch. And so that was the first reason that John sort of gives that that Jesus Christ is God. The second is that he calls people to believe on him. He says in a couple of places that people should believe in him. The first, he says in verse 29, that the people should believe in the one that God has sent. Him, Jesus Christ. He says also in verse 47, he who believes has eternal life. Jesus is calling people to put their faith in him. And again, this must be a claim to his divinity because if he was anything less than God, he would be telling the people to trust in someone deficient or less than what they should be trusting in. And so in calling the people to believe in him, he's saying, I am God, believe in me. But the clearest way that Christ is actually explaining that he is divine is through his use of the word, I am. Maybe this is something that that we know about already, but this is something that's really worthwhile for us to hear again. In a couple of different places here, Christ says, I am. He says, I am the bread of life on a number of occasions in this passage. And in each place, he uses a construction of the Greek that would have been very irregular for Greek speakers. He uses two Greek words. Those words are ego, a me. Ego, a me are the, the two Greek words. It means I am, but it's not the way that a Greek speaker would have said I am. It, was, it was, would be redundant for them to use both of those words. So Christ is calling the minds of these people back to something that had happened long ago. Because in Exodus, in Exodus 3, when the Lord revealed himself to Moses, he used this phrase. And and I'm just going to read briefly a couple of verses for us from Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Actually, 13, 14, and 15. And this is what Exodus 3, 13 through 15 says. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And Here's God's response. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. When Moses asked what the name of God was, God said, my name is I Am. And you know, the Old Testament that we have, the the Bible for the Hebrews at at this time was originally written in Hebrew, but at the time of Christ, that had been translated into Greek. And the the version that most individuals, in fact, probably every individual at that time would have been using, would have been a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in this translation, that same construction is used. God says, what's my name? He says, my name is Ago Ami. I am. And so when Christ uses this construction, he's saying far more than that he's bread. He's saying that he's God. He's making an explicit and a clear claim to deity. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am God who is the bread of life. And in a couple of places he uses this phrase he actually uses it also when he's walking on the water and our English translation obscure this a little bit but what it actually says is this is that when he's walking towards the boat and the disciples are scared he says to them in verse 20 and it's translated for us we have it is I don't be afraid but in the Greek Jesus says don't be afraid a go a me he says don't be afraid I am Don't be afraid. I am. So Christ, when he's walking to his disciples, that's what he's claiming. He's claiming that he's God. And as they're terrified, he says to them, Don't be afraid. I am God. No wonder this was such comfort to the disciples. They needn't be afraid. Sure, the wind was raging and the waves were high, but the very creator of the universe was walking towards them on the water. What need did they have to fear? The truth is, is that Christ comes to us and he says the same thing. When our life is raging and when we are troubled and when we are scared, Christ comes to us and says, don't be afraid. I'm God. Don't be afraid. I am, he says to us. And that does, and it should bring us comfort. The God of the universe has promised to be present with us by his Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. We have Jesus. But this is a clear claim to divinity. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am true God, and I offer myself to you. And the people say, yeah, but what about that bread you gave us yesterday? And they were willing to trade the creator of the universe, very God, for one of his gifts. They wanted lunch instead of eternal life. They wanted the giver, the gift. They didn't want the giver. And when Jesus doesn't give them bread, but tells them that they can have himself, this leads to grumbling among these individuals. But it actually gets gets worse. Not only do they grumble that, that he says, I'm the bread of life, but then it gets worse when he tells them to eat him. This takes us to our last section of of the sermon this evening. It's Christ's divisive demand. Because you see, bread is made to be consumed. And so Christ continues the analogy and he tells these people, eat me. He tells them, eat my flesh. He uses actually pretty graphic language. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. And he uses a, an odd Greek term. He says, unless you eat my flesh, and the, the word that he uses is like, eat me as if an animal were, were devouring something. Unless you just unabashedly devour me, you have no part of me. You have no life in you. And we can see how this would be a tough teaching. And again, I I can picture the individuals as they go home and they they meet some people that they told they were going to try to find Jesus again. They say, hey, did you get more of that bread? No, I didn't. Jesus said that we could eat, but that we'd have to eat him. Oh, that's gross. Glad you left. People deserted him. Because this teaching was hard. So what is Christ getting at? What does he mean when he says, gnaw on my flesh? When he says, drink my blood? It's difficult, but it's compelling language. It talks about being united to Christ. But one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I'm thankful that by God's grace, he's allowed me to live at, at this time. After seeing Christ's death, his crucifixion, after seeing that he was raised from the dead, after witnessing in Scripture that he, that he initiates the Lord's Supper in which he says, this bread is my body, in which he says, the wine is my blood, I'm also thankful that we live after those who have explained to us what is it that this means, that help us to understand what John 6 is getting at. And so I'm thankful that we have the confession. Because I do. I wonder, what does Jesus mean? What does he mean when he says, eat my body and drink my blood? And so question and answer 76 asks that. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? What does it mean? There are a couple things. It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and by believing to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. What the Catechism says is that when Christ calls us to eat of him, he's calling us to believe in him. And that makes sense with the text, because in a number of different places, Christ says, believe in me, believe in me and have eternal life. And then he says, eat me and have eternal life. He's calling us, he's calling them, he's calling all of us to believe in him. So are we willing to do that? Are we willing to believe In Christ. Are we willing to accept his sacrifice on the cross, his suffering and death as our own? Are we willing to put our trust in him? He calls us to eat him. And in so doing, he calls us to believe in him. Will we believe in him? But the Catechism says it means more. It means that through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we're united more and more into Christ's blessed body. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as members of our body are by one soul. And so when Christ talks about eating him. He also talks about participating in the life of the the Godhead. It means to be united with Christ, to experience, frankly, his benefits. And so in telling the people to eat him, he's saying, you can have my benefits, just not apart from me. And that's what he tells us as well. When we know Christ we can experience the great joy that comes from being drawn in closer and closer to Him. We can know peace and joy. We just know it connected to Jesus. And so Christ in John 6 invites us to believe in Him and in believing to have fellowship with Him, to be united to Him, to experience the life that comes from being connected with Christ. And thus, to know his benefits. Christ comes to us just as he came to these people in John 6 and says, you come to me asking for so many things, I'm willing to offer you myself. Will you receive that first and foremost? Will we? Are we willing to? Are we willing to make Christ our deepest desire, our most our most pressing craving, is Christ enough for us? Are we willing to say, Jesus, I want you, even if I have a a life of difficulty and hardship and trouble, what I want is you, Christ. Nothing else. Give me, give me yourself. Are we willing to say that? Give me yourself, Jesus. I pray that we are. I don't know the practices of this church. I know that in in many churches, there are Good Friday services where the Lord's Supper is administered. I'm not sure if that will be happening in this church. It looks like it will be. So this Friday, this Friday when we gather again here, and the sacrament is administered, are we willing to take this and say, Christ, I want to feast on nothing more than I want to feast on you? Will we make that our prayer and say, in partaking of this sacrament, will you unite me to yourself and let me experience the joy that comes from knowing you? Let's trust in Christ, people of God, because anything else is going to be deficient. And Christ offers us himself. And in offering us himself, he offers us eternal life. It's ours. Will you feast on Him? Will you feast on Christ? Amen. Let's pray.